Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. You likely recognize the introduction song for today's episode as the Happy Birthday song. In fact, the Guinness Book of World Records lists the song as the most recognizable song in the English language, though that was the 1998 version of the book, so I'm not sure if that still holds. The song even recently had its copyright expired slash invalidated, so we can use it to our heart's content in all of our content. As the most recognizable song in the English language, you can make the logical leap that birthdays are a pretty big deal, even to uh, President Kennedy. Since our last episode, there has been one thing on my mind, birthdays. That is because my birthday was this past Thursday. Don't worry, you don't have to feel guilty about not getting me a gift. Your presence listening to this episode is a really great present. Although a five-star review on iTunes and you hitting the subscribe button would be even better, but you know each their own. Okay, guilt trip over. Let us get into this episode. So why do we celebrate birthdays, and where does this tradition come from? The first why is, of course, that as a human race, we have put significance on dates and often celebrate hashtag on this date events. So it is only natural that after discovering the length of a year and putting stock into a recurrent date that we would grow to celebrate anniversaries, and really a birthday is just an anniversary of births. We actually do not have a good idea for who was the first to celebrate their own personal birthday. This is due to two things. One, birthdays seem to be a pretty universal concept, so it is likely that celebrations started independently of each other in many different civilizations. Two, a personal birthday does not seem to be worth writing about for ancient writers. By that I mean an ancient writer might want to write about the anniversary of a great victory or the foundation of a city but would have less interest of writing about their neighbor Steve's birthday, and even if they did write about it, the following generations probably would not have deemed it worthy of continued reproduction. I mean, how many times do you go back and look at your birthday selfies? Do you think a medieval monk would want to replicate your Facebook status thanking everyone for their birthday wishes? Probably not. So today's episode isn't about discovering who was the first, but rather why did birthdays develop into what we know today, and what are some examples of past birthday rituals? The first step towards birthdays was the establishment of set calendars and years. I plan to release an episode all about the concept of years in January, but for today we will just say that most calendars either use the solar year of approximately 365.24 days, such as in our Gregorian calendar, or a lunar year such as in the Hebrew, Islamic, and Chinese calendars. Either way, a specific day is given a date, and the day that we are born is our birth date. For instance, Adam Sandler's birthday is September 9th, 1966 in the Gregorian calendar, or 25th of Elul 5726 in the Hebrew calendar. Each year he celebrates the anniversary of his birth on September 9th, and that is the basic idea behind a birthday. As mentioned, birthday celebrations likely date to prior to the time of written history, and as of now, the first person to ever celebrate a birthday is unknown. However, we do have fairly early examples of birthdays. One of the earliest written mentions of someone celebrating their birthday occurs in the Hebrew Bible, also known as the Torah, also known as the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible and covers a lot of ground. 
The specific instance that I am referring to occurs during the recounting of the story of Joseph. Genesis Joseph is an important figure in Jewish, Christian, and Islamic tradition. Joseph was famously sold into slavery in Egypt, where he came to the attention of the pharaoh, and after impressing the pharaoh, rose to the rank of vizier, which is said to be the second most powerful position in ancient Egypt. In that role, he became instrumental in the decision that saw the Jews or Israelites leave Canaan and settle in Egypt. If this story does not sound familiar, then Joseph is also known for his coat of many colors, and his story in Genesis is the basis of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph was said to have died somewhere around the year 1445 BCE, so this all occurred approximately 3,500 years ago. The verse that concerns us is from the part of the story when Joseph is gaining the trust of the Egyptian pharaoh. The exact verse is Genesis chapter 40 verse 20 and reads as follows. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker. This translation comes from the King James Version of the Bible. The book of Genesis is typically said to have been written somewhere between the 7th and 5th century BCE, Current thinking seems to be that the story would have been written during the Babylonian exile of the 6th century, but the truth is we do not know exactly when it was written, and even if we did know, it is likely that this story had been a part of an oral tradition long before that. Unfortunately, the text does not give us further details for how the pharaoh celebrated his birthday, but it does still give us an early example that birthdays were tracked, and this means that they were likely celebrated by the common people as well as royalty. According to the book, The Lore of Birthdays by Ralph and Adeline Linton, birthdays were celebrated and remembered in Mesopotamia and Egypt as the day of birth was essential in the casting of a horoscope, which means a birthday celebration was directly related to the study and belief of astrology, astrology being the art of horoscopes and fortune telling. Horoscopes are still pretty popular today, but based on the information we have, ancient people were very superstitious in regards to the future and very much abided by what was said in these horoscopes. This assertion is attested to by Herodotus with the following quote from Book 2 of the Histories. The Egyptians discovered to which of the gods each month and day is sacred, and found out from the day of a man's birth what he will meet within the course of his life, and how he will end his days, and what sort of man he will be. However, this does not mean that the followers of the Jewish faith followed the same practices of the Egyptians who were their neighbors prior to the Exodus. The Jewish historian Josephus, who lived during the 1st century CE and fought in the First Jewish-Roman War, gives us some insight. After the war, he served in the court of the Emperor Vespasian and recorded Jewish history with a specific emphasis on the war and the 1st century. His writing in Against Appian has a line which provides us insight into early Jewish stance on birthdays in Book 2, Chapter 26, and states the following, Nay, indeed, the law does not permit us to make festivals at the birth of our children, and thereby occasion of drinking to excess. The Encyclopedia Judaica further states that the celebrations of birthdays is unknown in traditional Jewish ritual. According to Rabbi Michael Hilton's Bar Mitzvah, a history, the Jewish Bar Mitzvah celebration, a celebration that takes place on a Jewish boy's 13th birthday and symbolizes them becoming a man, also is not a piece of early Jewish tradition. Instead, the first recorded bar mitzvah occurred in the 13th century in France. 
From there, it became more commonplace to the point of today where it is a central component and one of the big milestones in a Jewish boy's life. The more recent addition of the bat mitzvah is the female equivalent. It should be noted that the age of individuals appearing in the Old Testament are often provided, so while the Hebrews appear not to have celebrated birthdays, they did still acknowledge age, so they would have had to know when a birth took place. It is recorded in the Bible books of Matthew and Mark that King Herod the Great, king of the Jews, who publicly identified as a follower of the Jewish faith, did celebrate his birthday. Although King Herod was criticized for his decadent lifestyle, so perhaps he was the exception rather than the rule. It is also possible that in early human history, birthday celebrations were simply an event celebrated by the upper rungs of society, such as kings or in later days, lords. The next birthday tradition we will discuss is documented a little more fully and provides more specifics about the actual celebration. The first source of this information also comes from Herodotus. For those of you unfamiliar, Herodotus has been known as the father of history since he was first dubbed that by the famous Roman orator Cicero. Herodotus received this lofty title through his published work, Historia. In English, we call it the histories, but the Greek word roughly translates to the inquiries. The book was so influential that it forever changed the way that we conduct historical research and tell historical tales. In fact, the word historia is where we get our word history. The breakthrough occurred as Herodotus chose not to follow the Homeric tradition of writing history as an epic poem, and instead set out on a journey in which he would interview locals and then reported on what he discovered. The history is primarily centered on the Greco-Persian Wars, but also provided us valuable information about the history and cultural practices of the Greeks, Egyptians, but most importantly for today's discussion, the Persians. If you are interested in reading Herodotus' The Histories, then you may do so for free with the Perseus Project hosted on Tufts University website. The histories were written in the year 440 BCE to provide you date context. The piece that interests us is found in his descriptions of the customs and traditions of the Persians, including the customs at birth and death. We'll stick to birth for today. Herodotus Book 1.133 has the following passage. The day which every man values most is his birthday. On this day he thinks it right to serve a more abundant meal than on other days. Oxen or horses or camels or asses roasted whole in ovens are often set before the rich, the poorer serve the lesser kinds of cattle. This passage from Herodotus gives us a good introduction to Persian birthday traditions. We aren't sure when birthday celebrations began in ancient Persia, but we do know that the state religion of the Achaemenid Persian Empire was Zoroastrianism. The sacred book of the religion, the Avesta, discusses the importance of celebrating one's birthday. The holiday, Kordat Sal, is also a celebration of the birthday of the founder of Zoroastrianism, who is named Zoroaster. Let me first introduce Zoroastrianism, and then we will discuss the birthday rituals. Today, Zoroastrianism is a very small religion. It is estimated that only around 190,000 people still worship. But from around 600 BCE to the Muslim conquest of Persia, that occurred from 633 to 654 CE, Zoroastrianism was the state religion of one of the largest empires in the world. Zoroastrians worshipped the god Ahura Mazda, Ahura meaning mighty or lord, and Mazda meaning wisdom. Throughout history, it was common for Western writers to characterize the Persians as fire worshippers, but that is because the Zoroastrians believe that the elements are pure and that fire represents Ahura Mazda's light and wisdom. This led to purification rituals that included fire, along with the primary symbol becoming the Atar, which is holy fire and represents Ahura Mazda's presence. 
Tradition holds that Ahura Mazda sent the prophet Zoroaster to teach the correct religious traditions and to bring innovations to the incorrect ones. It is unknown exactly when the prophet Zoroaster lived, and scholars have been unable to reach anything resembling a consensus. Most common seems to be sometime in the 2nd millennium BCE, but some argue it could be as late as the 6th century when the Achaemenid Persians came to power. No matter when Zoroaster lived, the religion was widespread by the time of the Greco-Persian Wars, which occurred from 499 to 449 BCE, and represent the subject covered by Herodotus. The timeline also makes Zoroastrianism one of the older monotheistic faiths. Zoroaster wrote the religious texts, and the primary collection was known as the Avesta. Unfortunately, we have lost all of the ancient copies of the Avesta, and the oldest surviving manuscript dates to about the year 1323 CE, and that one is said to have been a copy of the Sasanian Empire era master copy, but that master copy is said to be dated somewhere between 224 and 651 CE, and has since been lost. Based on the older commentaries and summaries, it is estimated that we have lost about three-quarters of the Avesta to the dustbin of history. The legend of Zoroaster states that when he was born, he laughed rather than crying like a normal baby. In that moment, it was known that he would grow to be a special individual, and this helped to make the day of his birth special, a day to be celebrated. One of the most important holidays in the Zoroastrian faith, like I said, is Kordad Sal, which is the prophet's birthday. It is a day where practitioners of the faith celebrate in great glamour. World Religion News reports that each year great festivities and celebrations are held, jishans are recited, large parties are held, large banquets are served, and the community comes together to commemorate Zoroaster's role in bringing the word of Ahura Mazda to the world. This is somewhat similar to the celebration of Jesus Christ's birthday with Christmas and the Prophet Muhammad's birthday with Maulid. The celebration of Kordat Sal shows the importance and religious significance of celebrating the Prophet's birthday, and it sets the stage for how individuals celebrated their own birthdays. According to the Zoroastrian tradition, a person's birthday was a special day in which that person's prayers were to be accepted. It's also customary to light candles. Remember that fire is a very important symbol of the faith. Exhibit generosity in the form of giving and receiving gifts, and it was customary to plant a fruit tree. A difference, though, is that the birthday boy or girl did not blow out their candles as we do now. It was widely believed that extinguishing light on one's birthday would shorten that person's life and diminish their success. Alright, let's move over to the eventual neighbors of the Persians, the Romans. In 1973, an archaeologist named Robin Burley was excavating a Roman fort in northern England when he and his student discovered several fragments of thin, postcard-sized wooden leaf tablets with carbon-based ink writing on them. The tablets date to the 1st and 2nd centuries CE in Roman Britain, which would be around the time of the building of Hadrian's Wall. The tablets are known as the Vindolanda tablets and are primarily housed at the British Museum. Perhaps the most famous of the tablets was one written by Claudia Severa. The purpose of the tablet was to invite her friend, Sulpicia Lupinda, to her upcoming birthday party on the 11th of September. This letter represents one of the oldest surviving documents of Latin written by a female, but it also represents an example of a birthday invitation, and therefore a birthday party, in the Roman culture. The ancient Romans took their birthdays very seriously. During the time of the Roman Empire, the Romans celebrated at least three different types of birthdays, which in Latin were known as the Dies Natalis. Roman men and women would celebrate their own birthdays and the personal birthdays of family members and friends. The typical celebration included gift-giving and banquets, the second was the celebration of births or founding dates of temples and cities. 
For instance, the city of Rome celebrated its founding every year on April 21st during the Perea Festival. Rome's birthday was known as the Natalis Urbis. According to Ovid, the Perea Festival predated the founding of Rome, but Romulus is said to have founded the city on the day of the Perea. Over time, the Perea Festival was changed from a rural celebration festival to a celebration of the founding of the city. The final birthdays that were celebrated by the Romans were the birthdays of the past and present emperors, the birthdays of the imperial family, and the day the emperor was declared emperor, known as the Accession Day. Marcus Valerius Martialis, who is better known as Marshall the Roman Poet, published 12 books called the Epigrams between the year 86 and 103 CE. In the ninth book, he talks about his friend, Quintus Ovidius's birthday. Here's the excerpt. If you believe me, Quintus Ovidius, I love your April birthday as much as my own in March. And so I should. Each is a happy birthday to be marked with a fairer stone. The one gave me life, but the other gave a friend. Your birthday, Quintus, gives me more. One of the common birthday gifts of the Romans was a gift of the profession of the giver. In the tenth book, Marshall describes it in the following way. Let the hunter bring a hare, the farmer a young goat, the fisherman the spoils of the sea. If each one sends what he has, Restylus, what do you think a poet will send you? We have several examples of what the poet will send in the form of birthday poems. We have surviving works by the poets Tibullus, Sulpicia, Horace, Ovid, and Marshall, to name a few. Emanuel Cesario, in his 1929 work, even went as far to classify birthday poems as their own distinct Roman literary type. A Greek equivalent does not seem to exist from what we have discovered, so the Romans are thought to have originated the birthday poem. So you can thank the Romans for poems on your birthday cards. I've personally always loved the birthday message, forget about the past, you can't change it. Forget about the future, you can't predict it. Forget about the present, I didn't get you one. I don't know who wrote it first, but I would certainly like to thank that person. In addition to the poems and personal gifts for their friends, a Roman birthday was also a time for religious veneration. Birthdays were a time to thank one's patron deity for protections over the past year and to request continued protection in the form of oaths and sacrifices. For instance, in the poems of Tibullus, we learn of a woman named Sulpicia celebrating her birthday. In order to celebrate her birthday, she was expected to make offerings to her patron deity, Juno. The offerings include incense, ritual cakes, and wine. Flames would be alight on the altar, prayers were offered, and vota undertaken. Vota being a collection of vows made to the gods. Therefore, a Roman birthday was both a personal celebration and a religious observation. The close relationship between personal celebration and religious observance in birthdays caused these celebrations to be closely linked to the point that birthdays basically became a piece of religious adherence all throughout the empire. The religious adherence piece then naturally linked the celebrations of birthdays to the pagan religious experience. In order to contrast the pagans, evidence shows that the early church leaders in Christianity attempted to discourage their followers from celebrating birthdays. The multiple pagan rituals involved in birthday celebrations were saw as being offensive to the one true God. This was especially true for the birthdays of the emperors, as viewing those mere mortals as semi-divine was strictly against the monotheistic teachings of Christianity. One example of this is contained in the works of the early Christian theologian Origen of Alexandria, who lived from 184 to 253 CE. In his Homilies on Leviticus, Origen states the following, Not one from all the saints is found to have celebrated a festive day or a great feast on the day of his birth. No one is found to have had joy on the day of the birth of his son or daughter. Only sinners rejoice over this kind of birthday. 
For indeed, we find in the Old Testament Pharaoh, king of Egypt, celebrated the day of his birth with a festival, and in the New Testament Herod. However, both of them stained the festival of his birthday by shedding human blood. But the saints not only do not celebrate a festival on their birthdays, but, filled with the Holy Spirit, they curse that day. In order to affirm the idea of the righteous cursing their birthdays, Origen cites the biblical examples of Job, Jeremiah, and David, who all cursed their day of birth, and unlike Herod and the Pharaoh, these three men were honorable and righteous individuals. In response to these teachings, the Christian church, in contrast to their pagan counterparts, chose to celebrate the most important members of their faith in the form of feast days rather than birthdays. Typically, the feast days coincided with the important moments in the Bible or were dedicated to individuals who were important to the church and had received the honor of becoming recognized as saints of the early church. Rather than assigning feast days to a saint based on their birthday, the Christian church typically chose to honor the death day of the saints. For instance, June 29th is the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul and is said to recognize the day the men were martyred. St. Patrick's Day marks the death date of St. Patrick and many other examples exist. The early church did not even celebrate the holiday of Christmas, and the history of Christmas is actually a little more controversial than the wide recognition it has today might suggest. The first recorded Christmas celebration did not occur until the year 336 in Rome, and for the next few hundred years was often overshadowed by the Epiphany holiday, which is a holiday that commemorates the revelation of God incarnate as Jesus Christ. This is usually celebrated to coincide with the visit of the Magi to the Christ child, or as the day of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. In the Eastern Church, it was actually believed that the birth of Jesus and the baptism of Jesus occurred on the same day of the year, as tradition held that Jesus was baptized on his 30th birthday. This is the reason why the Armenian Apostolic Church continues to celebrate both the Epiphany and the birth of Christ on the same day of the year in the form of the Theophany, which is celebrated each year on January 6th. The desire to honor God and the want to celebrate, however, did not dissipate just because the church leaders said it was wrong to celebrate birthdays. As Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire and the predominant religion in Europe, Western Asia, and Northern Africa, a similar yet wholly different tradition began to emerge. This tradition was related to the feast days of the saints. It became common to celebrate what was known as a name day on those feast days. A name day was celebrated when a saint who shared your name was celebrating their feast day. On those days, you would celebrate an occasion similar to a birthday called a name day. So with our earlier examples in mind, a person named Peter or Paul would celebrate their name day on June 29th, and a person named Patrick would celebrate their name day on March 17th. From my research, the historical record then seems to get a little bit hazy in regards to birthdays after the rise of Christianity. We do know that Charlemagne's ascension to the role of Holy Roman Emperor on December 25th, 800, or Christmas Day 800, helped to reignite Christmas as a popular holiday, but we are unsure if this also ushered back in the tradition of personal birthdays. Similarly to the Christian controversy in regards to celebration of birthdays, the same exists in Islam. In the early days of Islam, Malid, which is the celebration of the birth of the Prophet Muhammad, was allowed and to a degree encouraged as a way to strengthen the Muslim community and to counteract the Christian festivals. However, over time, Wahhab, Salafi, Dioband, and Ahmadiyya scholars grew to disapprove of the celebration of the Prophet's birthday and forbid the celebration of personal birthdays. The Ottoman Empire declared Malid an official holiday in 1588, and it is celebrated in most areas of the Islamic world. The countries of Qatar and Saudi Arabia are notable exceptions as they profess the Salafi denomination of the faith, and therefore the holiday is forbidden. 
In the areas where Malid is accepted, personal birthdays are also accepted. It is just important to make sure that a birthday celebration does not give an excuse for bad behavior and instead serves as an occasion to celebrate the distinguished personality of the individual and to bring glory to Allah. In the area of modern Germany, a tradition started sometime in the 12th century that many used to trace the idea of the modern birthday party. This tradition is known as the Kinderfest, or Child Festival. It was known for having cakes, blowing out candles, and the exchanging of gifts. The Kinderfest specifically celebrated the birthdays of young children in an annual celebration. It is believed that over time this tradition helped to reignite the long-lost birthday celebrations, and as the Kinderfest migrated out of Germany, it regained the designation of birthday, and soon both children and adults were celebrating their personal birthdays again. This time frame of the 12th century seeing a resurgence of the birthday celebrations also makes sense with the timeline I mentioned of the Bar Mitzvah first being celebrated in the 13th century. Over the next few hundred years, it became normal to celebrate birthdays again. However, it was not just a straight line from the German celebrations to our modern birthdays. Even by the 17th century, birthdays were largely not celebrated by the English and the early American colonists. This is due to the Christian aversion to birthdays I mentioned earlier and was especially true in the Puritan communities. Puritans in New England even outlawed the celebration of Christmas until at least the mid-18th century. The view of Christmas then changed going forward and started to become a mainstream celebration by the beginning of the 19th century. It would eventually become a federal holiday in 1870. Those colonists similarly chose not to celebrate their personal birthdays. However, it was common to celebrate the birth of a new baby and some amongst the community celebrated their own baptism date with religious reflection. The prohibition of birthday celebrations in the English community, however, may have been limited to the lower classes or the ordinary folk. For instance, Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, which was published in 1387, opened with King Cambuscan's birthday feast. The ordinary folk of Chaucer's time instead celebrated the name days I mentioned earlier, so it appears that naturally over time, the intermingling of the Germans in their Kinderfest, the Jews in their Bar Mitzvahs, the nobles' continued celebrations, the changing status of the saints and therefore name days after the Restoration, a gradual relaxation of Christian aversion to birthdays, and an overall secularization of society, all combined to bring the birthday traditions back around to a more or less normal tradition. Some denominations of religion still restrict or forbid birthday celebrations, but for the most part, birthdays are celebrated throughout the world. The sources for today's episode include the primary sources of Herodotus the Histories, the Bible, Avesta, Pliny's Natural History, and various others mentioned. Secondary sources include Catherine Argister's article, Birthday Rituals, Friends and Patrons in Roman Poetry and Cult, and a few world and religious history websites. That does it for today's episode of the Why Is That podcast. Thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you do not miss any of our upcoming episodes. The Why Is That podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and anywhere podcasts are streamed. You can find the show online at whyisthatpodcast.blogspot.com, Twitter, and Facebook at whyisthatpod, or communicate with me via email at whyisthatpod at gmail.com. Okay, enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers.